Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. middle of your back, 
the curve in your neck. Notice the angle of your head and whether your teeth are together or slightly apart. of your clothing on your skin. Notice the temperature of your body. Sense the weight of your legs and your arms. Sense the weight of your whole body. Notice how still your body is. And how calm you are. Be present to your body here in this place. For a few more moments, rest in the stillness. Hello everyone, welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Carmen Warrington on her Healing Heart and Soul Meditation album. Very, very moving, huh? kind of uh, made you feel like you were really taking good care of the soul at a deep level. When you tune into America Meditating Radio, you can definitely expect to receive some deep tools to help to move you forward and to inspire and encourage you to live your best life. We're at a point in the game where the quality of the work that we have done for the last six and a half years has transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And if you're not aware of it yet, we are in over 90 countries and with over a million archive listenership. And we continue to do it from really the deepest part of our beings. And I want to take this time to express my appreciation and love to all of you, our fans, but also to the staff that keeps it going and has kept us alive for quite this long period of a time. When we first started out, it really... It wasn't really with the expectation that it would have grown into what it is today, and we're happy to look back as um, we enter into 2020 and see the six retreats. We have hosted six AM retreats with one held in India for our guest on the show. We have produced um, two meditation albums, and we're in the process of doing another one with Grammy winner Ricky Cage. We're organizing a very powerful event at United Palace on October 3rd with Marianne Williamson, Lou Gossett Jr. Hopefully we'll be getting India Ari, Carolyn Mace, Myron Katie, Ken Honda, who is um, the Happiness Money author from Japan, will also be with us. And so to give you an idea that when you support AM radio, you're supporting humanity. And humanity is becoming a better place with each and every one of the shows that you tune into. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart 
for taking the time, especially on your smartphones. That surprised me that 80% of our listenership is on the smartphone, which goes to show that it's that quality of sound where you're moving and really want to use those snippets of um, free time that you have to listen to the narratives that we share here on America Meditating Radio. So thank you all so much. Today we're really excited because we're going to be interviewing a very passionate individual. Greg Seltzer has a passion for helping people, helping people to be their most authentic selves. And as a child, Greg was influenced by his therapist father. He was drawn to the classic psychological texts of Freud and Jung and Adler. And as a young adult, he was introduced to the Indian philosopher Krishnamurti, who actually opened up his mind to a new interpretation of the human drama and started him on a spiritual path of daily meditation and yoga, which he's been doing over 20 years now. Greg grew up as a competitive tennis player and a disciplined musician, and after a very brief stint as a would-be rock star, he turned to coaching both tennis and music. One of his most talented music students has become an accomplished writer and producer working with Zayn Malik and Zara Larson. Greg's love for teaching and coaching and his fascination with psychology has evolved into an excitement for life coaching. But he now continues to play both tennis and music to keep his mind, body, and soul on the right path. His new book is entitled 27 Questions to Make You Sweat, a workout guide for the soul. Today we welcome Greg Seltzer to America Meditating Radio. Hi, Greg. I'm so glad that you can make it this morning. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. So you have been on an interesting journey. It seems like it's been quite athletic, but interestingly enough, it seems to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, sure. with your steps that you have taken, you seem to have always been asking yourself questions. Yeah, you know, so questioning. That's <laughs> definitely been a big piece of it for me because I think because the way that I grew up, I mean, I think a big piece of this book and just a big part of who I am, you know, I grew up, as you said, my dad was a very successful analyst, um, but he sort of lost his way and kind of lost his mind and lost all his money. And so <clears throat> that was a big change. You know, I think that's right. probably the biggest, you know, when you grow up privileged and then you become unprivileged, mm-hmm. it really, that prompts a lot of questions. About how things work. Work, yeah. Did you you ever blame God for, like, why did you do this to our family? No, the weird thing is, I grew up in an atheist home. So I didn't get into the whole God thing until I was, like, late teens, early 20s. You know, I mean, early on, I was, I mean, both my parents were pretty hardcore atheists. So they're really, that idea of God really. Like I said, it didn't really show up until, you know, when I once I started kind of on the spiritual path, then I really, you know, I'd say maybe in my mid-20s was when I really started getting into God. So I didn't, yeah, the idea of blaming God didn't really exist. Didn't come me. up at all. You know, yeah, it's interesting. I, mean, <laughs> I know. I mean, if you're if you're brought up in a home that was atheist, then definitely you more feel like the blame is on you. It's so funny, Greg. There was a time when I was younger, if I would hear the word atheist, it was always interesting how a different interpretation came over me. And right. now, when I hear it, it's just like, I get it. It meant, I'm not going to blame God. I'm not going to look for God to cure me. I'm going to look at what is it in my human behavior 
that's making right. this happen and find the strength. And it just took such a beautifully new meaning that it became something very um, profound for me. Yeah. So now, based on your experience, so what would you say might be some of the primary things that's really holding us back from achieving goals? We have these high ideals, and then we realize we don't match them. What's up with that? Yeah, you know, I think something that gets in the way for so many of us is habits, and I talk about that a lot in the book, because so many of our habits are unconscious, and we're not really aware of them. And I, these, this, you asked me a tough question, because I was just talking to a very good friend of mine's son yesterday. He's mm-hmm. a beautiful, really bright kid. I mean, he was an all-American athlete. He was straight A, honor roll. He's at college now. He's decided to become an art major, and he really didn't do a whole lot of art as a young person, you know, but young, but he didn't do a whole lot of art when he was in school. And I said, Peter, you should be drawing four hours a day. And he's like, yeah, that's easier said than done. Hmm. I thought, you know, he's right. It's easier said than done. But the thing that is so difficult about us, you know, getting, making things happen, and I know this is a weird answer, we have to make a decision internally Mm-hmm. And and the truth is, and I don't know if you know the answer to this either. I mean, I am curious as why some people are able, when they make that decision, to stick with that. I mean, yeah. I feel like it really starts with that, though, really deciding, like, okay, it's not an option. As I say, I feel like for things like meditation and yoga, I say to people, I don't question it. it and I, I say... Do you question brushing your teeth in the morning? No, you don't question that. You know, you don't go, oh, should I brush my teeth today? Mm-hmm. You just do it, you know. Now, how do you get to the place where you can do really important things like meditate or do yoga or, you know, go to the gym like that? I'm not sure that there's a simple answer, but at the same time, I think it's a very simple answer. Do you think you it know? has to do with karma? Like, you know, we hear a lot you about know, karma in Eastern traditions. That's a great question. I are you familiar with Abraham Hicks? Are you familiar with Esther? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, you yes. know, I I really like her, and I mean, I battle with her teaching sometimes because my ex-wife is very much into her. And you know, Esther has this idea that karma at some level doesn't even exist, but I don't really agree with her because I mm-hmm. think karma is real. I I really do believe that it's real because I know that what we put into the universe, whatever it is, it's going to come back, and it's not it's not about a bad or a mean thing. It's just, it's almost like simple physics. You know, when you turn the water on, it comes out and it goes on the floor. If you're, you know what I mean? And I think that in terms of why we, you know, because I think everything comes down to willpower, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't like that idea. The idea that we really are responsible, you know, yeah. because then we, we get into the whole philosophical idea of, is there free will? I mean, I think that's kind of a silly question. I know that there's free will because right now I could hang the phone up. I could, you know what I mean? I could say whatever I want. You have free will. You, you know what I mean? I, I think it's a weird philosophical question. But isn't everything about cause and effects? And because we are souls, and I mean, I believe that there's a strong possibility if you are an older soul in the history and 
geography of time, you've had more than one lifetime. And this is speaking particularly to those souls, that there are experiences that we've had that we just didn't know how to flush out of our consciousness, and they are hidden in our deepest subconscious in that area called the sanskaras. And that vibration is really creating a lot of energy behind us achieving some of the things that we want to and sometimes us not being able to do it. So I I do feel like there's something to do with karma, but here's maybe the same question you've had, Greg, is, gosh, what are the right questions I need to ask? Which is, you know, your new book is entitled 27 Questions to Make You Sweat, and it's a workout guide for the soul. What are those questions that I need to ask to get into that place? And let me just finish our two things. This morning I was talking to Sister Gita and I says, I know there's something so deep in me I'm not looking at yet. There's something very deep I need to address. And I've been trying to find all the tools to access it, but it seems as if every time I get there, I'm like, I'm just not interested in seeing that right now. And so I just move on, you know, and do what I have to do and, and deal with whatever other littlest stuff. But I'm suspecting, Greg, that it's going to be the big release for me. And I've yeah. been trying to find the right questions, but I'm not able to get there yet. So tell me a little bit about that. You know, how do we you know, know the right question? I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I what, what you just told me, you know, because... The whole idea of questions, I mean, I tried to come up with questions in here mm-hmm. where, because what you just said is really, it's something that I think a lot of us that are on the path, because you're obviously willing, you know, you're open, you want to understand why you're doing what you do. But you said something really fascinating to me, but, you, you know, when you really look at it, you're like, oh, I don't really want to deal with that right now. And so I think one word that, that I seem to come back to over and over is that word courage. Because when we're looking at those those questions that are really difficult to answer, they, they just they take a lot of courage. You know, I, I know that's not the best answer because it's a it's a tough one, but I think the courage to say, you know what, this is really hard for me to look at, and I don't really like looking at it. And my whole goal with these questions was to be able to have questions that really do make us kind of uncomfortable, but if we can sit with that uncomfort, you know, and not run from it, if we can just sit with it, doesn't mean we have to answer, but if we can sit with that, I think that it leads us to then, once we can get over that sort of initial, you know, because what you were saying, I think is that a lot of times that our habits and our unconscious fighting those things that are difficult, right? But when we sit with that thing that's uncomfortable, we don't judge it. We don't say, okay, I have to do it, but we just sit with it. I think when we can sort of sit with it and breathe into it, it then might allow us the chance to go, okay, now I think I have the courage and the strength to actually address that issue. That's a good point. Yeah, I want to get into the the book and the questions that you came up because, like I told you, I've been asking myself the questions, and maybe the closest one I've come to is, I know there's something there. I just right. don't know how to access it. That could be maybe the biggest question I need to ask myself right now. Right, which is a, which you know, that's a tough one because if you don't know what the question is, it is hard 
you know, it's it's hard to know. So I mm-hmm. would suggest just keep asking different questions that make you uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> because I think the uncomfort sometimes I really I, I I know it's we don't like to talk about it, but I think the uncomfort now that is something that is very different than Esther talks about, you know, the Abraham. She's all about mm-hmm. just feel good all the time. But I don't know. I know as an athlete and as a musician, you know, at least when I was younger, I knew that if I wanted to get to the deeper levels and I wanted to get better, I really did have to fess up to some pain, you know, and I don't really know any other way sometimes than hopefully what you're doing to deepen yourself. You're in, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're enjoying like meditation. I know you meditate. It's, I'm, mm-hmm. Meditation is not always easy. I don't always find it easy, mm-hmm. you know, but I know that I love it because I know what it brings. I know the fruits of meditation. And maybe, you know, one of the things that we struggle with this word meditation is that I don't know about you, Greg, but I don't think it's about emptying the mind, but it's about redirecting thoughts and being able to apply the right thoughts that are connected to my part that I'm here to play. Like there are thoughts that I need to identify and and utilize that's really connected to my authentic story rather than the stories that I've been living because my parents said I had to study and I had to do this job or my husband or my wife, they expect this from me or my kids or the society. And so I think that, you know, that's what we're developing in meditation. So so give us some of the questions that's in your book. Give us like one or two of the questions that's going to make me sweat. Okay, well, I I think one that's, I think the toughest one, and honestly, is is question twenty one, and is are you an addict? How long would you stay in a relationship with an addict? Hmm. Hmm. I think it's a tough hmm. one. I hmm. mean, the reason that that I think that toughest is because I think many of us are raised with this idea that if we want to be good people, and we're with someone that is struggling with an addiction. The loving mm-hmm. thing is to be there and to support them and to just, you know, keep cheering for them. And we're going to be there. We're going to be by their side. We're not kicking them out of the house. We're... But the truth is, the thing about addiction is that you cannot stop an addict. It's just the truth. An addict will stop when he or she decides that it's time. And, I mean, it's the second part of that question to me. It's the harder one because are you an addict? I mean you know, many addicts are in denial. So obviously that's a really easy question for them to answer. You know, it's the one of if you're dealing with someone that's an addict, because, you know, obviously I would think people that are listening to this are people that are on the path that are, that really want to be trying to live a life where they're making decisions that are based in love and compassion and help, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but when I you do. are with someone that, that is addicted, it's almost counterintuitive to that whole loving compassion thing because I believe the most loving compassionate thing is to actually have is little tolerance for the addiction early on. Mm-hmm. This makes the addict have some serious consequences that then, you know, I mean, look, I, I, a father, it's an alcoholic. I had two sisters and one of them, both alcoholics, one pretty much died from alcoholism. That was what was on the, you know, death certificate, but pretty much that's what killed her. And she wouldn't stop drinking. That's a hard thing because I've been checking that, if you've noticed, Greg, 
everything in the life and everything around us in the world um, somehow can return us back to a spiritual correlation that I can see the way I'm functioning by what I'm seeing outside of me in the world. And it's to find the right conversation in my head that can help me to address certain issues. For example, you know, there'll be two of us in a room and one person sees, give you an example, uh, somebody getting beaten up. And they're like, oh, my gosh, i got to get in there and stop it. And the other one is like, why? Just leave them. I mean, obviously, they both love each other. You know, two people have a different way of looking at things. And so, again, you know, how do we use this most powerful resource called the human mind that houses our thoughts to really get to the essence of who we are? Yeah, and I, I guess because I came from an analytical background, you know, my father being a Freudian analyst, and not believing in God, he had this a little bit, I'd call it a bit of a confused notion that the analytic theory was sort of the highest form of, you know, it was about as high as we could get in terms of our intellectual capability, which I don't believe at all. Obviously, I believe that God and, you know, our spiritual being and our connection to the divine is what it's really about. But the one thing that I'm very grateful for and feel blessed about having a father that did analyze a lot of things is that I do think it's important to be able to look with strength at the things that aren't working and talk about them. You know, I mean, pretty much that's what talk therapy is. You know, we're, we're going to look at the things that aren't working. I mean, I, I also have sort of feelings about talk therapy because I've done it a fair amount of it in my life. And I do think at a certain point we really need to stop the talking. We need to start the doing you know, like mm-hmm. that's, yes, that's why yes. I think, that's why I think a spiritual path is so much. It, it's just because when you're meditating, you know, you're doing yoga or you're praying or you're chanting, you're actually doing something that is connecting you. Like mm-hmm. something can be actually changing. Besides changing psychologically, something can also be changing physiologically, which I think mm-hmm. is really really important. You know, you know that if we just talk all the time. And that's one, I mean, you can talk about running, but you can actually just go running. Yeah, I was talking to a friend about that, that um, we're at a point where we're more focused on who really, really sincerely are willing to do the work, you know, and make the changes. Because there are a lot of us that know the right words to speak and the right things Mm -hmm. to to convey in terms of a group or an audience, but at the deepest right. level, if you're being really true to yourself, sometimes maybe it won't come out perfect, and maybe that's also what people need to see, you know? Yeah, I, I think that that's, I mean, I, I, was, I did an interview a little while ago, and someone was asking me he, the question that he really wanted to talk about was, was question number 22, which is how important is it to police language use? Because the whole idea of language and how we use it, I think it's really changing. And it has changed in the last 10, 15 years, you know, with the whole PC movement and what what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And I don't know, for someone that I like to believe I'm on the spiritual path, I really believe that we have to allow people to express themselves any way they want, mm-hmm. you know, and, as long as they're not violent. I mean, obviously, I'm not a believer in violence, but... I am a believer that the truth wins, and I think it's important to let people say what you believe. I mean, I, I'm a lover of roundtables. I love the concept of a roundtable, 
you know, and allowing very, very different ideas being thrown around because I think if we talk through things and someone's able to listen and listen to what someone's saying, sort of do the mirror back and say, okay, I hear you say that. And then Mm -hmm. they express their view. I mean, I really do believe that eventually the truth will come out. But I think the the thing with the policing of language is it's almost like we don't want your truth. And it's sort of like, but wait, we live in a democracy, last I heard, which I'm grateful for because I think it's beautiful that the idea (laughs) of people actually have different ideas. I like that idea. So listen, like if there was anything you would like the readers to take away from your book, what would it be? I think someone asked me that. I think the biggest thing is, if people read my book and they're just a little more forgiving, that would that's I feel like I did my job because I'm just a believer that forgiveness is what it's all about. Yeah. And I know it sounds weird. I got to just share this with you because I I've had a friend in my life for a very long time and he did something a few weeks ago that really really hurt my feelings like immensely. I thought it was just a really mean thing to do. And when I he basically told me you shouldn't feel that. <laughs> and I was like, I, love that. I shouldn't feel that. Oh, so now you're the arbiter of what I'm allowed to feel. Well, you shouldn't feel that. And I said, well, yeah. it really hurt me, really hurt me deeply. And he's like, well, it shouldn't. You, you shouldn't be hurt by that because you shouldn't feel that. I would be curious to have asked him, why do you think I shouldn't feel it? I would be curious oh. to hear what he had to say. Well, no, I, I've, this is someone who's been in my life for 30 years. I mean, I've had plenty of things with this guy, and I've done the analysis, and I know why, because he is petrified, petrified of, of looking feeling. at his feelings. I mean, he's so yeah. scared. of. He's a lawyer, you know, and mm-hmm. he's, he's also one of these guys who's Ivy League educated. He thinks he's a master of the universe. He thinks he knows everything. He's smarter than everyone. He's, you know what I mean? And there's no ability for him to allow those feelings so when he has someone close to him saying i feel this and i feel hurt and you're partially responsible in the sense that what you did really hurt me now all he needed to do was to go wow Greg, i'm really sorry because i care about you and i don't want to hurt you but he didn't do that he said you shouldn't feel that like to me i struggle with how are you calling that love you know what I mean? Someone that you supposedly love tells you, you, ju- you hurt me. I, because this happened with another friend recently, you know, about, about a month ago where I did something, my friend was hurt. The first thing I did, I sent him flowers at his office. I called him. I wrote him up and said, I am so sorry. I love you. I, I am so sorry because I did not realize that what I just did hurt you so much. So if someone reads my book, I just hope that they're, willing to forgive and listen to the people in their life that they care about and say, hey, you know what? I really love you, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. You know, because, because I think forgiveness really can, can pretty much make everything go okay. I well, that's think. what I love about the times we're in, Greg. It's giving us huh? more permission to address a lot of things that we have missed or or was not given permission like nobody gave us permission to feel to think to say right. I, I know it's still a process for us we're still kind of developing it and growing it 
Like, I mm-hmm. could feel the way that your friend felt as a lawyer. I'd be like, well, why are you feeling like that? And then <laughs> right. I've had I've had the other part where I'm like, but this is how I'm feeling. So I think, but, you know, we go, you know, into this seesaw of variations of emotions and identification. And I feel that the work that we're doing is to get us to that plateau or that level of real deep acceptance that has such a connection to virtues, values. Right. And I think the important thing is, like, I was, it's great that you said you could relate to both of those feelings because I think we all can. But I think as we get on a spiritual path, we realize that even we can feel both of those, but at the end of the day, the most important thing to tune into is the compassion and the empathy and the forgiveness. You know, because without okay. that, I think without that, it gets very difficult to sustain healthy long-term relationships. I mean, look, we've all seen plenty of unhealthy long-term relationships. Let's talk about unhealthiness because you broached the subject <laughs> of political correctness, which is yes. has become such a sensitive topic. Know, if you could dictate crazy. the rules of public um, discourse, discourse, what would be the rules? My rules would basically be pretty much everything's fair game, honestly, except the only thing that I would, if I had to just say, the only thing that I wouldn't allow would be speech that has the potential in that moment to incite actual physical violence. But barring that, I really am a believer that you've got to allow people to say what they need to say. Now, with I think Even caveat, if it's ignorant? Yeah, yes, I, I really do believe that because the caveat, though, being if, if we're talking about around children, I, I think it's a different thing. I think around children we do need to sort of be careful, but with adults, no, I really do think ignorance is allowable because here's the thing. If you have an ignorant person saying really ignorant things and you believe that your views are a little more broad-based and a little more enlightened, then hopefully through your listening and discussing with this person, you may potentially be able to let them see the narrowness of their thinking. But if you just go, you can't say that, the first thing it does to every human being, when you tell any human you can't do that, every human, I don't, unless you are actually a fully enlightened being, is your defenses go up. That's the first thing that happens. You know, your defenses mm-hmm. go up and now you're in combat mode. But if someone allows you to say whatever you want and they listen, you don't feel like you need to bring out the big guns, you know, because they're not going, that's don't a think we need some sort of a decorum because, you know, giving freedom given without experience can get you into a lot of trouble. You give your child your car and says, go, I mean, just don't crash. And he has no idea, right? And he's got his friends, and he's drinking, and he's smoking, and he's vaping. And, you know, it's like, that's just giving me the freedom. And I feel that I think the power to express yourself is important with the understanding and the awareness that your words have power. And that what you are about to say, is it your conviction, is it who you are? Could you stand into your truth for it? And in the long run, will it uplift humanity? And I think like we have to begin to have that idea out there because we're going to reach a point that if the soul's potential 
is getting weaker and weaker as an energy. That means people are going to become more and more angry with the way their lives have evolved. And there's a saying that misery likes company. So you sometimes get into this scenario that what if I can't get it, then why should you get it? And so people have become so so self-focused and they have become pretty much, it's all about me. It's all about me right now. And that has created that has created really a lot of unnecessary stuff. And so I'm just wondering that I think we should have a language police. <laughs> you do. You, you, you feel like you think a language police is a good thing. I think that would be nice to at least have a language police person who oh can just God. go, mm, who would just look at you with such a sweet <laughs> smile and just go, mm-mm. I think there's another way you could have said that. <laughs> But the part that gets so tough, says is that once we decide that there's going to be a language police, the question, obviously, the next obvious question yeah, is who, who's the commissioner? You know, yeah. who is the one that gets to decide right. you can and cannot say this? And I feel as an adult, I mean, what you just said was just so beautiful because, yes, I dream also of a world where people – when they're conversing with other human beings, the consciousness that their words matter and they affect people, you realize that you have to be a semi-enlightened being to know that? Sister, seriously, those, those are, that is a heavy, that is a pretty enlightened place to live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that to expect our, you know, less enlightened brethren to just somehow be semi-enlightened, I don't I'm not so sure that the way to get them to be semi-enlightened is to go, okay, look, you're not going to be allowed to speak unless you're speaking semi-enlightened. You just let them say what they want, and then we, as thinking, okay, well, I'm a little more enlightened than you. So the question is how do we, as the more enlightened beings, at least if we think we're more enlightened, how do we manifest that? that sort of that deeper awareness. Well, the way mm-hmm. I believe we manifest that deeper awareness is a, we, we allow less enlightened beings to say whatever they want. We listen to them and then we respond in a way that doesn't make them feel completely idiotic. Now I am totally guilty of that because I have some family members that, you know, we're not exactly on the same path. And they have some beliefs that are extraordinarily difficult for me to come to grips with because mm-hmm. from their own admission, they're not meditating. They're not thinking. They're not reading. They're not th- thinking critically. They're not getting into discussions, you know. And so as we both know, if someone's not like willing to educate themselves, how do you have an educated discussion if they just – if they consciously say i'm not interested you know what i mean like how do you go okay well can we talk about like just if i just bring up anything let's just talk about water if I, let's just talk about reservoirs i'm just somehow i'm just bringing that up but if you know nothing about how a reservoir works but you're interested in the quality of the water that you're getting from the reservoir but one side says i'm not interested i don't care but i'll tell you what i better have clean water but you go but do you know the steps and the processes i don't care you know, I mean, that's a very difficult consciousness that I've come up against. And, and in the past, I kind of, I would kind of come at it like you're an idiot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
But that's that's not a loving thing, and that doesn't help them. You know, that's not going to help them somehow come to my side. Yeah. But I, yeah. you know what I mean. But I feel like I need to allow them to express their ignorant view, to then hopefully. I mean, again, the the toughest thing is when. I mean, look, you said it. The discourse right now in our country is so incredibly crass and combative and just, it's, it just doesn't, you know what I mean? It makes, it just doesn't make you feel good, you know? And I think that it's yeah. important for us, the ones of us that are trying to be on this mindfulness path that are, you know, that are writing books or having shows like you, you know, cause you want to spread the love and you want to share. I feel like your heart's in the same place my heart is, which is you'd like to see more people pressing themselves in a kind, compassionate, clear manner. Well, it is a choice. That's, that's, you know, that's an interesting question, though, because if you're not, if you don't have the tools, you know, think about people that are raised in a home where the parents don't actually know how to communicate emotionally. Because you have to search um, inside of yourself to, um, to address the emotions or the pain that you're going through. And what's happening, it's like your lawyer friend, he doesn't want to, and he has the permission. It's just that if we keep holding the pain, they say people who are hurt will only keep extending that to others as well. So I think that the time that we're in is so powerful because we are given an opportunity to rise above the limitations in our personality. And that's what makes authors like you that are bringing out books that are helping us to take our lives to another level of authenticity is is a gift to humanity, and we thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate Listen, are you you're welcome, dear. You're welcome. Are you doing any book signing? Are you traveling? Yeah, anywhere? I mean, I, I, I am. Well, I mean, I did a book. I'm doing actually. I did a book signing two weeks ago. I'm doing one this weekend in Ridgefield, Connecticut, at a beautiful little shop called The Touch of Sedona. It's a really beautiful, you know, kind of new age shop. It's got all the beautiful crystals. It's got a lot of cool book so i'm going to do a signing there beautiful um, well leave um, us with a website that our our listeners can get in touch with you beautiful thank you so much i really appreciate you having me on you're welcome what's the best website for you the best website for me is gwscoaching.com but also i'd like to just a shout out to my instagram because i i've been i spend a lot of time on instagram every few days i do what i call my message of love peace and truth and i just you know i talk about something that i'm thinking about in my meditation and you know just something that i just read so i like people to check that out too and also what's the name of your instagram my instagram is just my name greg solzer greg with two g's at the end and um they can get the book on amazon beautiful greg thank you so much for joining us on air you were amazing Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Tristan. All the very best. Take care. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. So that was Greg Seltzer, Seltzer, S-U-L-Z-E-R. If you want more information, go to gwscoaching.com, but also visit his Instagram site with two Gs, Greg with two Gs, Seltzer, S-U-L-Z-E-R, and he'll be able to respond to you personally, too. I liked him a lot. He was sweet. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same, so let's do that. Remember to pause for your traffic control every hour and hour. Let's bring some peace into ourselves and into the planet. Here is Keiko and Echo. Take care.
Sister Jenna, you've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.